You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It was one phrase, and for a long time, it controlled presidential elections in Virginia. Silence is golden, said conservative Democratic Senator Harry F. Byrd when asked who he would support in the presidential election. Silence is golden, which, considering his hold over Democratic politics in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, was about as good as endorsing the Republican Eisenhower at least, making it okay for Democrats to defect, which was enough to turn a reliable Democratic state since the Civil War to a reliable Republican state pretty much for the next 50 years. Byrd was a fiscal conservative, balanced budgets, who's a proponent of segregation, and Virginia's resistance to civil rights, which led to the extreme step, the complete closure of some public school systems in Virginia between 1959 and 1964 to avoid having to comply with Supreme Court orders for integration. In 1946, the GOP party in Virginia decided Harry Byrd was too powerful not to bother opposing him for the Senate. They would continue to have a little quiet deal. Byrd says nothing about the Democrat in the presidential race and the GOP in Virginia, which was starting to gain in membership, would not field a candidate against him. A nice little arrangement. 1956, the South went for Adelaide Stevenson, but not Virginia. In 1960, Georgia was one of John Kennedy's best states. The Carolinas, the Deep South, chose Kennedy. Virginia went for Richard Nixon. But there would be three events that would change this trend when President Lyndon Johnson would run for re-election in 1964. One was that John Kennedy, after his election, started pushing for removal of the poll tax in election. A constitutional amendment was seen by Kennedy as the best way to get around opposition to a direct congressional bill against a poll tax, which might be filibustered constitutional grounds. Here he had what would normally be seen as an odd ally, Spessard Holland, a conservative Democrat from Florida, against most civil rights legislation, introduced the poll tax removal amendment to the Senate. Holland opposed most legislation during his career, but in a way, it was a free vote for him. Florida, North Carolina, and Georgia in the 1930s had repealed the poll tax in their states. Virginia still had one. The bill passed quickly. From 1962 to 1964, states rushed the amendment through. Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky were among those southern states voting for it. Kennedy would not live to see it, but the tax for federal election voting would be removed by 1964. In Virginia, where the poll tax was strongly enforced, in fact, if a voter in Virginia wanted to vote, they had to pay the cumulative poll tax, including all the back years not paid, in order to vote. In Virginia, This added some 55,000 African Americans to the total of voters in the state in 1964. 
Another event that occurred that changed Virginia a bit, Mills Goodwin, an ally of Harry Byrd, took a train ride. When President Johnson stopped in Alexandria, he sent his wife, Lady Byrd, to take a train across the state of Virginia. Then Lieutenant Governor Goodwin joined her, stopping to cheering crowds and the support of African-American Virginians and liberal Virginian politicians who hadn't been Goodwin's allies before. With the ability now to reach both conservatives and liberals in the state, Goodwin became a power running for governor next year and putting together a moderate coalition that would win big for him. A third event is that the Republicans, fueled by the strong activism of Barry Goldwater, decided to break their deal and not leave any Senate seat uncontested, even in Virginia. And so the Virginian GOP party decided to run a candidate, Dorch Warner, against Harry Byrd. This didn't matter to Harry Byrd. He didn't care if Republicans were running someone against him in this election. That candidate was going to lose. What he felt strongly about is that LBJ should not be reelected because of his support for civil rights. But running a candidate against Byrd, even if Byrd didn't mind, ended up alienating some of the conservative Democrats and some in the Virginia GOP who wanted to preserve the silence's golden deal. The GOP was split. Johnson won Virginia 54%. One Richmond won the African-American vote. One Richmond precinct was 2,300 to 14 for Lyndon Johnson. Thus, when another Democrat, Jimmy Carter, ran for the presidency, in 1976, and was capturing states like Mississippi and Alabama, South Carolina that hadn't gone for the Democratic candidate since Eisenhower, he figured he'd get Virginia in his column too, just like LBJ did. Especially because, once again in 1976, the GOP in Virginia had splintered. Governor Mills Goodwin, who had eked out quite a bit of popularity for his moderation in the 60s, was once again governor, now as a Republican instead of a Democrat. He made it clear that in the battle between Ronald Reagan and the conservatives and President Ford and the moderates in the primaries of 76, he was for the president. He was for President Ford. And this set up a very divisive primary in Virginia as the supporters of Governor Goodwin battled with new conservative state senators and other activists, among them a young Republican named George Allen, who were for Ronald Reagan, the former actor and California governor who ended up carrying the state of Virginia in that primary. Still, when it came to the general election, cooler heads prevailed. President Ford's campaign had no interest in ceding Virginia to the grinning Southern opponent. This time, there was no silent deal. Harry Byrd's son, now a senator himself, out and out endorsed Ford in a public appearance with the president after the third debate between the candidates in Williamsburg. So did a Democrat, former Governor William Tuck. Ford carried the suburbs of Richmond, Henrico County, and he carried Northern Virginia. Now, Carter made inroads in the backcountry county that Harry Byrd would have easily carried in his day, but it wasn't enough. Carter had hoped to sweep the entire South, and as Virginia moved away from him, he told his pollster, Pat Cadell, he thought of moving the Mason-Dixon line below Virginia so he could still claim that he carried everything below it. It wasn't to be. For those two incumbent presidents, in elections where the state was seriously contested, Virginia lined up with the man in the White House. And in 2012, a third incumbent earned Old Dominion's approval when Barack Obama received its votes for his re-election. Should we read too much into this? Well, perhaps there's something to it, because in each case, the challengers to these presidents had a reasonable chance of winning Virginia, but the incumbent won. 
Romney in this election, 2012, was very close. Is the fact that the state is so close to Washington, D.C., so close to the executive branch, a quick ride on the Francis Scott Key Bridge? But not only that, the fact that its media is so much more focused on the incumbent as a fellow local resident, that news of the president is so much more common, what the president does so much more important to the area than it would be in other states. And not only that, is it that so many of this state's residents actually work for the man in the White House? As we consider this, we of course must say that Virginia doesn't always re-elect presidents. When a state hasn't been close between the two parties, no amount of campaigning helps. And you can cross the key bridge as much as you want if the state isn't close. Certainly didn't help in Bill Clinton's re-election in 96. But each time in fairly recent history that the state has been a swing state, competitive for both parties, it's gone to the nearby incumbent. For President Obama, there certainly was an advantage in travel time. Looking at the president's schedule for the 2012 uh, election, as fast as Air Force One is, let's look at one of his days. You have to leave at 8.15 to go to a campaign event in Iowa at 11. You stay till 2. You go to Denver at 5. Depart at 6. Two swing states. Long day. Goes to tape a show at L.A. at 9.30. Still has to go to Las Vegas and sneak one in 11.45 at the airport. Who said this job was easy? Compare this to a good old lazy day of Virginia campaigning. 10.15, Obama gets a briefing at the White House. 10.50, he's in Fairfax at a campaign event. On a different day, 9.30, he and Joe Biden get the briefing. And then, boom, leaves the White House for Virginia. A little bit on the copter. 11 a.m., Virginia Beach. And then back at 2 for a full or half day of work in the White House. It's almost like working from home. Could Virginia be considered to be an extended rose garden? Obama became the first Democrat since Lyndon Baines Johnson to win the state in 2008. Though the change was more of a process that's been occurring. Population changes in the state. The state's 13% growth in population between 2000 and 2010. A large portion occurred in northern Virginia. Diverse suburbs and exurbs of Washington, D.C. Prince William County grew 40%. Loudoun County led the state, growing 84% making them the third and fifth most populated counties and cities. Fairfax County crossed the one million resident threshold, making it more than twice the size of the state's largest city. Obama won Fairfax by 90,000 votes. President Obama would win Northern Virginia, the whole area, by 200,000 votes, about 30,000 votes less than the last time, certainly enough to give him a good margin that would be difficult for Romney to make up elsewhere. But Northern Virginia is just one part of the story. The other two important population centers are the Richmond area, which includes the actual city, the state capital, and the county of Henrico that hugs it. The other important area is what's called Hampton Roads or the Tidewater, dominated by five of the seven biggest independent cities, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, Chesapeake, Newport News, Hamptons. It can be said that if you win these three areas, you can make the rest of the state irrelevant. But no one is really irrelevant because not all the three areas are equal. The Hampton Roads area is a bit tighter for President Obama, especially this time around. Romney kept it close, winning Virginia Beach, York, Southampton, Prince George, areas that hug the Chesapeake. Well, the president killed him in Norfolk, Portsmouth, Newport News, and other areas. We were beat on the ground, Virginia Governor Bob McConnell said. Obama had more than 60 field offices across Virginia, 
Grassroots organizing dating back to 2009, there's a 19% increase in the state of Latinos and a 7% increase of African Americans registered. The GOP, meanwhile, did not see the state. Romney's campaign conducted a million door knocks, 5 million voter contacts, and improved absentee and early voting numbers from 2008. There were late appearances by Romney in Fairfax and Virginia Beach. But shall we be shocked that these appearances didn't work, that in closer races, Virginia once again sided with the man in the White House? Should we be surprised that this happens in the other elections we talked about? After all, at least some of the voters in this state work for the man in the White House. There is a role of federal workers in these states' politics. In one congressional district alone, the 8th, it's estimated that there are 110,000 federal workers. Tom Webb, former president of AFGE Local 3615, representing federal workers, said that this year they were angry with the Republican House. We seem to be like an ATM machine for Congress, he said, the source of all the cuts they wish to make. But just because we work for someone, would we vote for them? Would we all vote for our boss? Jim Moran, a Democrat of Virginia, is used to getting this question. He represented Northern Virginia for more than two decades, and he says people have the misimpression that virtually all federal employees vote Democrat. It's not the case, he said. Blue-collar federal employees tend to vote Democratic, not always those that are higher paid. Thus, Republicans hope for opportunities in the many employees, particularly those that work for the Pentagon and those who worked for Northern Virginia-based contractors that depend on military spending. They would bring up the defense cuts planned by the Obama administration. Yet in 2012, this didn't work. In addition to Northern Virginia and many areas in Hampton Roads, President Obama also won big in the Richmond area. 60,000 votes surplus in the city of Richmond, 20,000 votes surplus in Henrico County, which hugs the city. Ford had won Henrico back in 1976, and although it didn't make him president, helped him earn the state of Virginia and give him one big win in the South. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Exit polls say that Mitt Romney was winning among Virginia white voters and among voters over 45 by larger margins than McCain did. 
and he picked up three or four points from the president's 2008 total in this state. And that will demonstrate that while it went Democrat twice in a row now and voted for a Democratic senator, the state is a Republican governor and will still be one of them that's in play in 2016. African-American voters are 20% of the population, one of the highest in America. Exit polls showed that Obama won black voters by more than 9 to 1. The president also won younger voters in Virginia by roughly the same percentage as 2008. Romney won more independents than McCain did. So in these totals, you're going to see the building blocks for both campaigns in 2016. More than 60% of Virginia voters told exit pollsters that the economy was their top concern. A third said financial situation was worse than four years ago. For that third, about 90% voted Romney. Younger Virginians, especially those under 30, stuck with Obama even those who might be struggling financially. This was an election that surprised many people, surprised many conservatives who did not expect that many voters would re-elect the president when the economy is not performed. It surprised some Obama supporters who wanted the president to win but feared the country's mood had changed about him, particularly after the first debate. I'm focusing on Virginia after this election because through much of this campaign it was not seen as one that the president would hold on to, even though polls were showing a pretty competitive Obama performance throughout the year and at different times in the election cycle, he was leading Virginia. By a week before the election, the state had moved into the barely Democrat column in most polls. Everyone's focused on Ohio, was focused on Ohio for this election, and when Ohio was announced on TV, that was the moment that most saw the president's re-election. I do tend to think, though, That a narrow win in Ohio alone, if that was all that brought uh, President Obama back in the White House, especially if that came at the expense of a popular vote loss, would have been a poor footing for President Obama in a second term. Florida should go to the president, though Romney performed well there in some of the I-4 areas that are growing in population to keep it close. Colorado was also fairly convincingly won by the president. New Mexico, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania never turned out to be the swing states that they appeared to be at the outset. So I focus on Virginia because I think along with Colorado and Florida, of course, it's providing the shock value that makes Obama's win, which is actually, if you look at it, is a fairly narrow one, 51% of the popular vote, if even that, you know, it could be considered to be a pretty narrow one. But winning Virginia, among other states, It's surprising, and in that town of Washington where these things matter, the expectations game has provided a mandate to the president, I believe, and with that will come some political capital. There's one more thing to say about Virginia's history that really doesn't mean much for 2012, but it's worth noting. It doesn't tend to be a swing state. It tends to be a stuck state, favoring one party for a long time. Solidly for Washington, in the first presidential election, it became a Jeffersonian Republican state solidly, of course, electing Virginia presidents, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe. Then it went all out for Jackson and the Democratic Party up until the time of the Civil War. You get to 1860, and well, it didn't vote for the Northern Democrat Stephen Douglas. You get about 10% of the vote. It certainly didn't vote for Abraham Lincoln, though he did get 1,800 votes in Virginia about 1%, and it didn't go for the Southern Democratic candidate, John Beckinridge, though that was close. No, by one-tenth of a percentage point, it narrowly went for John Bell, the constitutional unionist. That's about it for its swing state history until the 20th century. In 1872, it did go for Grant under a Reconstruction government. 
From 1876 to 1952, it was part of that solid Democratic South, with a quick break for Herbert Hoover. And it's been Republican since then, with a quick break for LBJ, and now two wins by Obama. So, in its whole history of this old dominion, just about seven elections in all of American history, could it be considered a swing state? After a second Democrat win, the question will be, is it a swing state now? Or is it just entering another period of a different one-party domination? That question will be answered in four years. I want to thank you for listening. The website is www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com. We have the best of my history. You can beat up your politics.com available on iTunes, 999, 21 best podcast. And if you do like the program, please tell somebody about it. Thanks for listening. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off. U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.